We are um, at a critical time in the life of our church, uh, short life. We haven't been around for a long time, about six and a half years or so, but uh, we're at a time in which uh, God uh, is um, uh, giving us the opportunity to, to move out of this place. Actually, I, I call that kind of a little bit the divine boot. It's time to go. Uh, we know that the Catholic Church, who's renovating, will need this space come mid-October, and that has uh, pushed us forward to be able to think about a new facility, a new place to meet. And, and the, really, the last week, this week, and next week is all about how does God lead us and guide us? What does God see? How is God calling us to respond uh, so that we can live into this, this vision, this life that God has for us as a church? And, and I wanted to... Um, to talk first this morning before we get into how specifically uh, does God want us to respond, I want to give you a tale of three churches that I have recently come in contact with. The first is uh, Emmanuel Church in, uh, in Stockholm. A few of you have been there and have, have know the church. Uh, beautiful church. Um, it was actually created uh, about, I think, about 45, 50 years ago. Um, there were three local churches in the area, my guess, that were not doing very well. And they decided that they could do more together than they could on their own. So they sold all of their build, they sold all their property and all their building, and they bought a city block in Stockholm. And um, the only the only uh, thing that the the uh, city told them they couldn't do was build an above ground parking. So they built a church and about four levels beneath, uh, where they have a, a space that is now two international churches meet there, as well as a Swedish church upstairs. Um, below that, they have a gym. Uh, below that, I think they have a music room, and they have music lessons. And below that, they have a swimming pool and a sauna. Kind of nice. Well, they're Swedish. They have to have a sauna someplace, right? Um, and, and in this church, there is a thriving international church uh, that's English-speaking. And then also, I think also it's a Korean church, I think, um, that, that uh, God is using in wonderful ways. Uh, there's also a hotel on that area. And that hotel actually generates an incredible amount of income that allows the church churches to function um, and do some exciting things in that community. Um, but, you know, when they, when they made that change from three churches to one, there were probably three pastors. I don't know the history, but my guess is all three pastors didn't go to that one church and lead. I don't know. But there was transition. There was challenge. There were some people who probably said, you know what? But my grandfather was baptized in this church. Or I was married in this church. How can I leave this and let this go to build an uncertain future? And yet, looking back on that church, wow. They made an incredibly right decision to step out in faith, to leave behind um, some great memories and some great moments and say, we will embrace this new life, this new church. And God has done wonderful things uh, in that community because they did that. The second church is a church in Paris that I met the pastor at. A, a, uh, they had a conference up in Sweden for pastors of international churches, and I met Scott and his wife um, when I was there. Uh, have visited them since. Uh, their church was started by a, a small group of people who were meeting and having Bible study, and they decided that, that Paris needed an international church. And so they went and they asked the government of Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah, it's that far back. They asked the government of Napoleon Bonaparte if they could have a place to have a church. And uh, this was no small issue because France was very much a Catholic country and they had to make some agreements that they would not be bashing the Catholic church, that they would honor uh, the community and the environment in which they lived. 
Uh, and so they were given some land uh, on the Seine. Uh, I hear from the pastor, it was basically swamp land. What a gift. Here, you want some land? Here, here's some swamp. And yet, if you walk by that church or drive by that church or take a boat by that church today, there's a large church there uh, by the Seine. It's no longer in the swamp. Um, but there is a church that's thriving, that's meeting the needs of the international community uh, because some people met together and prayed and said, you know what, we need a church here to meet the needs of these people. And so they, they changed their Bible study and they grew it into a church. Third church, All Nations Church of Luxembourg. Seven years ago, didn't exist. It was just a dream, just an idea. And just a belief that, that about 70 people in the States believed that there was a need. And so they gave and they prayed. And they sent Beth and myself over here. Um, it was in response, actually, to people talking to Hans and Adeline in the international community here saying, we need a church, an English-speaking church. And so God brought us here and provided the finances for us to live and to be a part of starting the church. He provided the leadership of the church to move things forward. And when we first came in here... Um, we put we put a few we put chairs and, and a bunch of tables, you know, because why? It was so big. There was there was so much space. It just felt like it was empty. We have a little different feel today at the church. And what has happened is those people blessed us, and 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 now we're a growing church. We are financially uh, self sufficient in terms of what we need to do and want to do as a church. God has blessed us. But what will our history be? In the future, when we look back in 10 or 15 or 20 years, what will we see? You see, God is moving us out of this place and challenging us into a new place. And he's saying, come with me. I will bless you. And I will make you a blessing to the nations. Last Sunday, we talked about what does God see? And I think I want to go over this just briefly because I think it's important in terms of what we talk about now. What does God see when he sees people? And it says in Matthew 9 that when God sees people, he sees sheep that are lost, that are helpless, that are harassed, because they don't have someone to lead them. Not someone who's adequate, not someone who really cares about them, not someone who will restore their soul and make life the way it should be. And he says, I see lost sheep everywhere. He says, but the great thing is, as I see in those lost sheep, and he changes analogy, he says, I see a great harvest of people who want to come to a Savior who will rescue and restore and heal. There's a great harvest of people, he says. And he says to the disciples, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll provide the people to help bring them in. You know what? I don't know if you've ever done any farming or if you've ever done any gardening. You know what happens if you have wheat or if you have tomatoes or if you have beans and you never harvest them? What happens? It rots, doesn't it? There's a point at which people are ready and they need to be brought in. The crop needs to be brought in for it to be made into something useful, for it to be what it can be. And Jesus is saying, you know, the worst thing that could happen is that people who want God... Not, not the God that, that we've made up, but the real God. The worst thing could be is for them to miss Him. The harvest is great. People are more interested than we think in the real God. And He says, pray. Pray for workers. Pray for laborers. Pray that there will be people who are willing to make it happen. 
who are not afraid to say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, who are not afraid to make a place for people to come into a relationship with God and to grow in that. And we asked ourselves the question is this, this is what God sees. But to be very honest, for the most part, we don't. We don't walk around Luxembourg and go, necessarily, a lot of hungry people for God, do we? We tend to think a lot of people who don't want anything to do with God. And God says, no, you don't see what is. They may not be hungry for the God that they think exists, but for the real God. For the God who gave Jesus Christ, they are hungry for Him. They are. And we have to make a decision. Do we trust what we see, or do we trust what God sees? In fact, this is, always, this is a decision throughout our whole life, isn't it? Do I trust what I feel and think and see? Or if God tells me something different, am I willing to adjust to what He sees? Am I willing to respond to the reality He presents to me? Or will I be stuck in the limits of my own vision? God says, pray. And as we pray, He will expand our vision. As we pray, He may say, you, join the harvest. Be a part of helping other people come to know who God is. This week I want to talk a little bit about God's vision, God's plan to meet that need. You know, it's one thing to say that there's a great harvest out there and a great need, and it's true. That's what God says. But what do we do? What's God's plan? I mean, how is God going to draw and bring these people in to a relationship with Him? And I think the answer we heard in Genesis chapter 12, but also in Exodus uh, chapter 3 that was read, as well as in 2 Corinthians 5. And that's that God's plan, this is it, it's the big one, is to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the rest of creation. That's it. Simple, easy, small words, you know, so we all can get it. His plan is to bless you so that as you experience and know God, as you find out that you can trust Him, as you see His provision, His protection, His leading, you can be those who, who give that blessing away to other people. As you think about the words to Abraham, I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing to the ends of the earth, you hear that echoed in Moses' call to go and to release the people of Israel. And God is going to take them into a new land. A land of milk and honey. To us, that means the land of espresso and chocolate. Really good espresso. Excellent chocolate. Whatever. You know, gourmet meals. Whatever it is. That, that best place that you can imagine. That's it. What is God saying? I'm going to bless these people. But that blessing is not a dead end. And it's called to Joshua. And it's called to Gideon. To David. And to the prophets. And then Jesus came and he lived it perfectly. When he saw people who were hurting, who, people who were, had disease, people who were maimed, he healed them. He restored them. He blessed them. And oftentimes, what did he say to them? Go and tell. Go back to your family and tell them what God has done for you. Help them know that the God who blesses is here. He is here to restore. He is here to bring you back to life. And then the, the apostles sustain that reality of being blessed by Jesus and then taking that blessing out to the end of the world. 
I will bless you so that, that's purpose by the way, you can be a blessing to the world. He blesses us by bringing us into a relationship with Jesus Christ where He protects us and provides, takes away our sin. He stretches and grows us and He leads us into life. You know, that's what a shepherd does, doesn't it? A shepherd does all kinds of things, but one of the things a shepherd does is he makes sure the sheep have what they need. He makes sure that they're protected and he leads them to a good place where they can live and have life. And God's plan is for us to know that blessing and to pass it on. That means that we've got to rub shoulders with other people, other lives who don't know God. In fact, who, if you ask them, do you want to know God? They'll go, no, no. Because their image of what God is like is so different than what He really is. But that's okay. Because as they rub shoulders with you and get to see Christ alive in you, they'll kind of start to go, you know what? What do you have? I've got Christ. No, 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 no. What do you have? I've got Christ. And that makes the difference from the inside out. Not that I don't have pain. Not that I don't have problems. But I have life, God's life, His blessing. I want you to have it too. I was recently at this conference in Stockholm where I met many of these pastors and heard the stories of their churches and was very encouraged by what I saw. Um, but one of the, the speaker was a Swedish gentleman who um, came in and talked to us about, about Europeans and the European mindset. Um, and one of the things that he said I thought was really good and really interesting is he talked about the, the path that many Europeans have in terms of coming to faith. And what he said was this, one of the key things that a European needs to embrace Christ is a Christian friend. A Christian friend. That, that's it. It's someone who they can see the blessing of God in. Not someone who's perfect, not someone who has all the answers, but someone who is pursuing to understand God and who they can have questions and they can talk to, that it is a key point. And if they do not have that, they will not come, oftentimes, to faith. If you ask Europeans, oftentimes they will point back to one or two people who were instrumental in their life, a Christian friend, in whom they could see, think about it, the blessing of God. And a friend who said that blessing is offered to you as well. Abraham, I will bless you. And I will make you a blessing to all the peoples of the whole world. We take for granted that we are a very powerful instrument in the hands of God, in the lives of other people, who would never consider God an option until they see His blessing in our life. At the core of God's plan is you. You're the core. You're, you're at the center. God is planning to bless the world through you and through other Christians all over the world. But, but if you know Christ through you, that's His plan. Simple, easy, terrifying. <laughs> Me? But you don't know, God, all the mistakes, all the things I haven't got. Oh, yes, I do. But I will bless you in such a way that you can be a blessing to the ends of the earth. People will see in us God's blessing. But it is a blessing we have not earned. It is a blessing that God has given us from heaven. He has shown His love to us. And it is not a blessing that we keep. It's a blessing we give away. 
God did not create us to be big, large reservoirs, you know, these big spaces that hold the water in. He created us to be overflowing waterfalls. So that as He blesses us, that blessing pours out to other people. And so they can see and experience God through us. We talk about it all nations that our mission is to reflect Jesus Christ so that they can see the beauty of Christ in us. God made His plan known, and He promises to fulfill Him, to bless all the peoples of the world through blessing us, and we then sacrificially and freely pass on that blessing. The only question really is for us is this. Will we be a full participant in God's plan? God's going to do it. That is no question. The question is, do we get, do, will we choose to participate? Will we choose to enter in? Will we choose to say, yes, God, I want to be a blessing. I want others to be blessed by you as I have been blessed. I am open. I am ready. I am willing. Lead me. Lead me where you want me to go. God's plan is to bless the nations through us. How do we do that? How do we live that plan out? And I have two thoughts I want to give you this morning about how we live that out. The first is this, is I think we need to grasp the generosity in God, of God for us. I think so often the reason that I don't am not generous in many different ways with my time, uh, with my money, with my expertise. What, ex- what expertise does a pastor have, by the way? I'm not sure. We'll talk about that later. But whatever I have, you know, the one of the reasons I, I, I don't is... Um, is I don't sense God's generosity towards me. I see God as someone who's kind of, okay, I'm willing to, but, you know, don't blow it. You know, I'm willing to give you, but you better, you know, that God is some kind of uh, tightwad up there in heaven, only dishing out the minimum amount of blessing. And, you know, you cannot read this book well without seeing God lavishly blessing people. People who don't even like Him. People who will hate Him to the end of their days. He blesses them. Because that's who He is. Again and again in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God shows us that He will give far more than we anticipate, far more than we reasonably can expect. For the people of Israel, when Moses took them out, for 40 years He fed them. 40 years. Manna from heaven. Every day what they needed. He gave countless victories over enemies, but one in Gideon, uh, in in Judges chapter 7, he gave Gideon and 300 men victory over a countless horde of people that had been oppressing God's people. They were talked about like locusts. They would come and they would strip everything away. In In 1 Kings chapter 17, through Elijah, the widow who was ready to die was given food every day from God. Enough from that flour and oil to live and to provide for the prophet. Jesus fed the 5,000 with five baguettes and two fish. Okay, five loaves of bread and two fish. He gave abundantly. He blessed amazingly. And God gives us a challenge. And the challenge is found in in, uh, Malachi 3, or if you prefer, Malachi, the Italian prophet, at the end of the Bible. He gives this incredible challenge to God's people. And he he's basically does something that he has never done before. 
as far as we can tell. Because God says throughout the Old Testament, don't, don't test me. Why? Why shouldn't we test God? Because to test someone is to question their character. And he says, I'm not the kind of person like you who my character changes. Don't test me. But then God comes to Malachi and he speaks to the people, people who have been withholding from God. And as they withheld from God, their lives start to shrivel more and more. And he says this, test me. Bring what you should. Give as you should. Be generous as, and see, see if you can outgive me. Go ahead. I challenge you, he says. Try to be more generous than I am. I will flood you, he says, with blessing. You'll, you won't even be able to hold it. You'll have so much. But why withhold from yourself the opportunity to be blessed and to bless others? That is not my plan. It is the opposite of what I plan to do on this earth. Test me. He said to the people. And you know what I think he says to us today? Go ahead. Make my day. Test me. See if you can match my generosity. Because what you'll find is as, as, as you're generous in so many different ways with what you have, with who you are, with your time, you will find that I will bless you so that you can continue to be a blessing to others. We cannot outgive God. The best we can do is imitate His generosity. The last thing is this sense of togetherness, this principle of togetherness that I think is important for us to understand. God promised Abraham that he would bless him and through him bless many others. And that blessing came through Isaac. Later, Moses brought the descend, Isaac's descendants out of Egypt. Many people, too many to count, the scriptures say. And then Jesus came from the descendants of Abraham. And then we, the church, out of, out of Jesus, were born. Many And so God blessed Abraham so many people could be created into a community that could bless the world. That's us. We are the fulfillment of God's purpose and plan up in this point. The simple truth is this, that God knows that we can do a lot more together than we will ever do alone. That when we work together, when we have a sense of God's purpose and vision together, we can do great things. But by ourselves, some of us will do well, but many of us will fall off to the edge through discouragement and frustration and fear. Jesus focused his life on 12 and on 120, and he blessed them. And then they went out, and they had a huge impact in the world, the world that they knew. The Apostle Paul talked about in the passage that was read in in 2 Corinthians 5. He says this, We... We are ambassadors of Christ. We carry within us this incredible truth of God's freedom, God's life, God's message of hope, His desire to bless all creation. That's the message. We're the ambassadors. We're the ones who share it, who live it. We have a mission. And that that mission is to say to people, in word and deed, be reconciled to God. Prepare yourself to be blessed. Because that's who God is. The one who blesses and gives. There is something about stepping out in faith with a group of people that allows us to see God and how He works in a more wonderful way than if we just did it as individuals. To experience Him more deeply 
because we experience Him together. You know, sometimes you can have an experience with God and it's all by yourself, and sometimes later on you doubt, don't you? You kind of wonder, was that God? Or was that just circumstance? Or is that just conse- you know, coincidence? But when we experience God together, then we know what every once in a while we look at each other and go, He did it, didn't He? Yeah, yeah, He did. I wasn't sleeping. It wasn't a dream. It was real. Yeah, wasn't that great? And you know what? God wants us to have that. And He's going to give us, as a church, an opportunity over the next couple of months and years, the opportunity to live into that sense of He is blessing and we are blessing to others. And one day, when either our life is at its end or... um, when the world is at its end, we will look back and we will thank God profusely for the opportunity to, to give and to make that blessing a reality for other people. We won't look back in sadness. We'll look back in joy. And we may look back actually wishing that we could have done more. And I want to, to that end, I want to, I want to show you a movie clip um, from a, a movie. It's from Schindler's List. I don't know. How many of you know Schindler's List or have seen it? Okay, good. Some of you know. This is right towards the end of the movie. And I want to set it up just a little bit for you. Um, this is at the end of the movie. Schindler has gone from a hard man, a man who um, basically is about money, to getting into actually helping Jews, not because he necessarily wanted to, but because there's this other little Jewish guy who's pushing him. And at the end, basically, um, Schindler has saved thousands and thousands of Jews. And this clip happens just before the end, um, when when the Germans are about to collapse and he has to go away because the Russians are going to come and they'll kill him right away, and so he has to escape. And this is the encounter that he has with the people that he's rescued. So... Um, watch, and then I just want to close after this with you. It will be done, everything you ask. trying to explain things in case you were captured. Every worker has signed it.
Alaska, there are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. If I made more money. <laughs> So much money. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> If I just will be generations because of what you did. I didn't do enough. You did so much. This car. Good what about this car? Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for at least one. That's probably my favorite uh, and most powerful part of the, of the movie. Um, I think it's a symbol. It's a symbol that I carry around with me of the incredible ability to have an impact. The incredible ability to, to use what we have, who we are, to make a difference in real people, in their real lives. And, you know... The reality is one day we will look back in some way, shape, or form and we'll say, I wish, on so many different things. My hope and my prayer for us is as we move forward as a church that we will not have that wish, but we will have the celebration that by the grace of God and by His goodness, we believed that He not only had blessed us, but that He would bless us and so we felt the freedom to be a blessing to others. And that someday, as we pass by and move off to our eternity, we might see, as Schindler did in the faces around him, faces of people who experienced the blessing of God because we were willing to let them see it in us. 
Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come before you and we confess that it is so easy for us to be caught up in us, in our needs, in our frustrations, in our fears, in our hurts, in what is wrong in our world, what is wrong in our lives, and to forget that because of Christ and because of your presence in us, there is so much that is right. And that one day you will make all things right, but today... Now, you call us to hold on to those blessings and then to give them away. To be a channel for your love. And so that others might see in us wholeheartedly a love for you because you first loved us. And that they might be drawn to the Savior as well. Help us to know how to use our life, how to order all that we have in a way that it fulfills your purposes of providing for us, but also being a blessing to others. Give us the wisdom that we need as a church and as individuals to walk into our future, to be a place where you will be blessing all the nations through All Nations Church of Luxembourg. Lead us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.